the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you for allowing us to continue to walk through the catechism, to continue to learn about just the constant grace and gifts and blessings that you continue to pour down upon us every day of the liturgical year. We ask you to help us to persevere in the faith, especially as we set out in this campaign of fasting that is Lent, um, to grow ever closer to you and to love our brothers and sisters in Christ that much more each and every day. And we ask this through the intercession of that perfect disciple, our Blessed Mother, as we pray. Hail Mary. Full of oh, grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Have mercy on us. Immaculate heart of Mary. Pray for us. Saint Polycarp. Pray for us. In the, name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So as always, we'll do a quick recap of where we are in the catechism. We are on part two, the celebration of the Christian mystery. Fairly still new in the part two. I think this is our maybe third conversation on part two. Um, but we are specifically talking about the celebration of the church's liturgy. And it kind of prefaces that in paragraph 1135 with who celebrates the liturgy? How is the liturgy celebrated? When and where is the liturgy celebrated? We did who last time and we'll be focusing on how, when, and where the rest of our conversation today. That sounds great. So with the how the liturgy is celebrated, it focuses on a couple specific things. It's focusing on the signs and symbols of the liturgy. It's focusing on the words and actions, the singing and music, and the holy images. And we're going to kind of go through each of these parts in sequence. But to start, signs and symbols. I really like to emphasize when we talk about signs and symbols of the liturgy is the fact that you and I are a perfect composition of body and soul. We are physical and spiritual creatures. Animals are pure physical. Angels are pure spiritual. But we are a perfect composition of the two. God knows this. God became man to emphasize this fact. And within the liturgy, there are a lot of physical things. Let's just talk about the sacraments because that's easy. Water for baptism. Yes. Bread and wine for the Eucharist. Oil for confirmation. I mean, you can't get much better than that. The the physicality helps us to understand the reality. Could God have given us these graces from the sacraments in a pure spiritual manner without physicality? Of course. But we're, we're human beings. We have the physicalness. And so making sure that there is something physical in relation to liturgies, in relation to the sacraments, is so extremely important. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, it's one of those things could got it unsure, but it's not as fitting. It doesn't take into account our physical, you know, physical, spiritual composite, as you were just saying. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't really have a whole lot more to add. Oh, to that. You just summed that up pretty well. You did. And I mean, and I guess with the signs, when I mean, you talked about the efficaciousness of the signs last time and how, you know, with the sacramental sign, it is, um, it affects what it signifies, unlike a stop sign, which doesn't get up and make you stop. Um, whereas the Eucharist actually, you know, the bread and wine become the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ actually mm-hmm. become what they signify. It's no mere symbol. Um, but all these signs point towards what they are. <laughs> and 
These signs are also prefigured in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. These aren't just things that Christ made up. They all have a foundational aspect within the Old Testament. A lot of these have are based off of physical signs from the Old Testament. The flood and baptism, the parting of the Red Sea and baptism, the manna in the desert, the Passover lamb and the Eucharist. So... Even in the Old Testament, we had the physical signs that ultimately, whether they realized it or not, or they didn't, in the Old Testament, ultimately was pointing to the physical signs that would be the new covenant and would be ultimately the sacraments. Yeah. I think I hear uh, Scott Hahn say this all the time about Christ being concealed in the Old Testament, the Old Testament being revealed in the new. I mean, it's just, it's amazing how, you know, there's always more and more things um which you come across all the time in scripture study that's like oh yeah i didn't know that you know this was a symbol of x you know just um for example you know like uh you know um abraham about to sacrifice isaac mm-hmm. on uh, mount moriah um you know and and yet then there's the ram that takes his place and the ram is caught by its head, by its horns in a bush of thorns. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that ram that takes the place of Isaac, that gives up its life, was crowned with thorns. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, it's like a, a prefigurement of Christ who is, you know, the lamb of God who eventually is sacrificed and himself was crowned with thorns. And just, you know, those little things that are just like set up as this great prelude to what's coming in Christ later on. And I just feel like the more you study and, um, you know, look into these signs, just the more beautiful, uh, it just all unfolds more and more. But ultimately, also going with that analogy, because now we're in description, why not? Yeah. The ram, the ram is not the not ultimate the sacrifice because it's the lamb of God yeah. and a ram is not a lamb. It is true. So there is still a understanding that while this sacrifice is in some ways prefiguring Christ, that's not the sacrifice that we're ultimately looking for. No, no. Yeah, it's still Christ to come. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. We're moving right along. <laughs> words and actions. Father, why don't you take this when you start? So if we go to words, well, like you just said, as far as us um, not being like the animals, we are physical, but we are not um, purely material. We actually speak language and uh, the word element of the sacraments, the communication that happens is absolutely important. I'm going to look at 1155, a liturgical word and action are inseparable, both insofar as they are signs and instruction, insofar as they accomplish what they signify. When the Holy Spirit awakens faith, he not only gives an understanding of the word of God, but through the sacraments also makes present the wonders of God, which it proclaims. The Spirit makes present and communicates the Father's work fulfilled by the beloved Son. I love that part about making it present mm-hmm. because, you know, it's one of those things where Okay. We talked a while back, um, about how, you know, we record the homily every Sunday and, uh, my mom was actually just telling me about this cause she's going back and listening to all of these. Mm. And she said something about how she's definitely know, one of our biggest fans. She is, which is awesome. I mean, I think we've got the grand total of biggest fans up to three now. So <laughs> thanks mom. Um, but, uh, you know, she talked about, uh, we record the homilies every Sunday. And I think a while back, you know, we were coming up on the three years. We had a full three-year cycle. So every, you know, reading option that was there, we have the homilies mm-hmm. recorded. And I think you said something about, you know, do you just go back and listen to them and repeat them? And I said, no, I hate the sound of my own voice. So I'm not <laughs> going to do that. But, you know, like, the fact of the matter is, it's like, no, it doesn't work that way. Because it's like the, the mysteries of the faith are always made present. So like each time we approach the sacred scriptures, 
you know, uh, the mystery of Christ is made new. I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's the the mystery and the wonder in the words themselves, and the words that we speak do matter. And there are particular words that have to be spoken for for some of the sacraments, you know, to be to be valid, and and for the the mystery to be present. But that's the amazing thing is that Christ makes it possible, you know, for us to participate. You know, in the Eucharist, it's like to be present at his, you know, passion, death and resurrection by those words at the mass that were there. But it's not like I can get up there at the priest and be like, Jesus was pretty darn cool. And this is neat. And here's bread. Isn't that great? Like, it's like there there are specific words that have been handed down. Um, And of course, you know, you have the liturgy of the word, the liturgy of the Eucharist. The homily is supposed to try to help bridge that gap of explaining and bringing it all together. And the beautiful thing about preparing the homily is that it's it's a mystery that is always newly made present. And so those wonders of God are not just things that were only present, you know, when Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac and the angel stops him. But like the wonders of God continue to unfold today. So. Yeah, we very much emphasize the reading of the gospel. I mean, yes. it's probably the second oh, yeah. most important part of the mass. And that's when we're singing the Nice catch, though. I think I actually said it twice yesterday. Um, we sing the word that shall not be named at the moment. We have the candles, we have the incense, everyone stands up. I mean, it's a pretty big part of the mass, emphasizing the fact that these words are so important for us to listen to. Um, it's kind of the climax of the liturgy of the word. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really is. And when you look at it, I mean, and, and we don't typically do, well, not typically, we never do it here for some reason. Like, so sometimes you process in with the book of the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Like the book of the Gospels even stands apart from the rest. And why is that? You know, it's, it's four, um, you know, accounts from four different saints of the life of Christ. You have the three synoptic, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then you have John. Why do we call him that? Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke are quite similar. John is the uh, unique one of the three. All of them come together though. Um, and, you know, each one of the, each one of them gives us you know, an insight into the life of Christ, gives us, I don't know, I would say connection to, you know, Jesus, because it's like, it's the living and active word of God. And so we are encountering Christ, especially when the gospel is proclaimed at Mass. Mm-hmm. I will say, I don't know if you read the Catholic Thing article for today Not by, for today. by no. Stephen White. He talked about being excited about Lent. I do. Uh, coming like up. White I do too. I always look forward to his. Um, but he said something about uh, slowing down and taking time with sacred scripture during Lent. Mm-hmm. And he said two practices he likes. One is he hand copies like some of the Psalms or some scripture? Because he said you really start to internalize it when you have to slow down and write. He said, and, I, and he writes with pen, so then it's like you're even mm, focused on not making mistakes. Mm. I really liked that. It's like you know, just kind of like making it a part of you. But the other thing he said is sitting down and you know reading the entirety of the gospel in one sitting. Because it's like you see these repetitions. The entirety of the gospel. Yeah. And, and, and picking one. He said, you know, and of course, like you pick Mark. It's the shortest of them all. Yeah. yeah. And it just, it sort of occurred to me. It's like, yeah, I mean, when you think about it, the gospel of Mark is 16 chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, really, if you sat down and wanted to read the whole thing, I bet you could, you could get through the gospel of Mark probably in an hour and mm-hmm. a half, you know? Um, obviously, Matthew is 28 chapters. I think Luke is what, 20. Four, and I think You're doing John, pretty good. Keep John, 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 I think, is 22. Um, and obviously, the chap- 
the chapter numbers kind of, you know, some chapters are small. I mean, chapters are just the yeah. creation of modern times. Exactly. But, um, yeah. I mean, Matthew and Luke are pretty, I mean, yeah, other than Mark, Mark is pretty short. But I just, I thought that was an interesting thing because when you think about it, you know, the books, specifically, you know, sacred scripture about the life of Christ, it is possible to read through one of those in one sitting. Mm-hmm. And, and I did like what he was saying because it is true. Like when you kind of put it all together, you do notice a lot more repetition and things like that. Like, for example, Mark uses the word immediately so much. And if we, you know, and, and he, Stephen White was saying, you know, like sometimes, you know, we, we only hear it at mass. Like, you know, it, it sort of has like a false division, you know, mm-hmm. of like, well, we heard this last week and then really you're in the next verse, but it's been a whole week. So it feels like it's been a long time. But like Mark is always saying, and then immediately he did this and then immediately he did this, immediately he did that. I forget how many times he uses that word, but it's a lot in 16 chapters. Um, but I just, I found that fascinating. And just as someone who has the privilege of getting to prepare a homily every single, well, every single day, but particularly for every single Sunday, it is incredible about the wonders of God made present because every Sunday is different. And it's, it's incredible to me because it never gets boring. Mm-hmm. It gets more exciting. And, and I think too, you know, the very fact that, as you said, it's like it's it's the it, it's this beautiful point at the mass where you, you're coming to the conclusion of the liturgy of the word, you're coming into the liturgy of the Eucharist. We're about to receive Christ into our body, physically, tangibly, in the Blessed Sacrament, and to get to sort of you know try to provide some commentary that sort of like brings all of this together and then points to. You know, the living and active encounter with Christ in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And how does that happen? The words that we've been given by sacred scripture and tradition that's been handed down to us in a particular way, right down to the present moment. I mean, it's it's a fascinating thing. It is. And the more I, I <laughs> go to Mass, the more really, really working with you, with you and talking about your homilies and things and recognizing, wow, you, you do have the same readings every three years. And it doesn't feel that long ago that you did do this. The homily on the same reading. Yes. Oh, yeah. And so, but it is it is interesting as you reflect on the gospel in that way as somebody who might give the homily and say, oh, but there's new stuff. Like, I did just read this three years ago. You probably read it more frequently than every three years. Um, but I didn't read it that long ago. But I can come up with something new. There's more to be said. Absolutely. There always is more to be said. And I'll tell you, I think it's easier for me now to dive into it deeper than it was, say, 10 years ago. You know, it's like, I think the more I'm in a relationship with Christ, the more I get to dive into this, the more I'm just fascinated by the treasure that is sacred scripture. Um, in some ways, it's like the easier it is to preach. Now, I will say it's not easy. And just personal example, it was hard to preach yesterday on Ash Wednesday because you just had you know, the big Sunday, you know, like getting ready for that. And I mean, it takes me a week to kind of like let the the gospel and the other two readings in the response oral psalm kind of like simmer and figure out what we're going to be talking about and praying about that to go right into another like Sunday, Sunday sized mm-hmm. day of, of liturgy. And plus it's Ash Wednesday's physically taxing. Yeah. So it just, it makes preaching on that day kind of tough, but the beautiful thing is, it's like, okay, words and actions, as it says here. In some ways, the ashes kind of speak for themselves, though, too. You know, remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. I mean, there's there's something 
in the very action of that, that regardless of what I say in the homily, I mean, I think you know, Ash Wednesday is kind of a funny day where it's just like you wouldn't think yep. that the day that's basically like, hey, everybody, remember, you're going to die. That that's the day that would draw everybody out to get them there. I mean, it's essentially what's being said. Either remember you were dust and then to dust you shall return or repent and believe in the gospel. Which is the one I say in Spanish because it's a lot easier to say. Like, and I said that a lot of times yep. last night. Um, but yeah, it just it, to, the the process of preparing and working through things in Scripture. Yeah, it's hard to turn around and do another great big feast two days after the Sunday. Yeah, so I totally understand that. Yeah, as somebody As-some- who assisted at two liturgies. Yeah, I didn't even have to do all. Five, five, yeah, five of them. And so, now we know now why we know the why. church says you can only say three masses. Exactly. That would be insane if you had to do more. But we do plug in two liturgy of the words only on Ash Wednesday. Only on Ash Wednesday. And it will because it's one of the only days, it's a big one, where you, I mean, you can't have a vigil. There's yes. no vigil yeah, that is for true. Ash There's Wednesday. No vigil for Ash Wednesday. So if you had, yeah, taken the two liturgies of the word, made them a vigil, and put it the night before, it would have been our normal schedule. At least you would have had a night's sleep. That is very true. All right. Well, before we get into singing and music, I actually wanted to stop, pause, and explain our joke a little bit about not saying hallelujah. Um because, because I think I there think are there probably are viewers that may not know, know why, why, why we did why that. We did sure. So, so during, during Lent, Lent, we do we not do sing not the Alleluia. Um, um, as it is a penitential, penitential season, season, preparing for Easter. Also, also we, we then, then, when Christ, Christ is risen from the dead, sing the Alleluia with so much gusto and celebration. And that's kind of the point. And so you'll notice that we sing, praise you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of... King of endless glory. Endless glory. Thank you. That's what I was going to say, but when you're not singing, I understand. Hey, I get it. It's hard to say. That's why I have a hard time repeating prayers. (laughs) So we don't don't sing the Alleluia. So it's kind of a, not so much a a joke, but kind of a fun penitential thing to erase Alleluia from all conversation or use throughout the Lenten season to remind you that you are in the penitential's time. Remind me of that when we get to our discussion on the liturgy of the hours, because that's going to be a big deal. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. So, so obviously, obviously, I just said the word hallelujah like seven, seven times, times. But, but as an emphasis of, of, see, it doesn't really matter, matter but, it is, but it is, as Paul said, said, good catch. catch. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, kind, it's of, kind a, of a just fun little fun thing little during this Yeah, and it's, you know, just that recognition, like we're we're paying attention to the bridegroom being taken away from us, Mm -hmm. that, you know, it is a penitential time that, you know, to recognize like we need Christ so desperately. And I know it's either an ancient practice, they still do it in the East. I know my good friend, Father Voidus does this. Mm -hmm. They take a big banner with Alleluia on it and fold it up and bury it. Really? And then they bring it up on Easter Sunday and then, you know, fly the banner. So I think it's kind of cool. Like they they literally bury the Alleluia. Interesting. I had heard about burying the Alleluia, but I forget what context. Mm -hmm. But it's not it's a context. Do you actually do it? They actually do it. So Interesting. It's kind of cool. And I kind of want to know the history of that. We'll have to look that up. We, I, will, I will. And once again, it's like, you know, the physicalness mm-hmm. of things. And, you know. Even the physicalness, the physicalness of a word that yeah. doesn't have physicalness. Yeah. But we put it on a banner. We bury that banner just to show it's like, okay, like Christ really died for us. Like he really was laid in the tomb. He was dead. Mm-hmm. And now he is alive. Awesome. Praise be Jesus. Now and forever. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, all right. Music. All right, music. So, so, a couple, a couple points, points that I like to make right before we kind of go through 
the section on music. And we have a lot of opinions on music. So we might be a little off script here, if you will, about music, but we normally are. Um, the first thing I really want to emphasize is obviously St. Augustine's quote that I'm so glad that they added into the catechism. Yeah. That he who sings prays twice. And I'm happy that they have a reference because I've heard that. But you know, there's some quotes that it's like it always gets attributed to someone, but you never actually see it anywhere. I'm really happy that it's in the category. And I was pretty I was sure pretty that sure one that was one. budget. I was, which, you know, I mean, there's, there's your citation, citation now. Exactly. So, yeah. And because I really trust the editors of the catechism. Ah, uh, yes. So there you go. And, and <laughs> the whole point of he who sings praise twice is that first you're praying by speaking words. But then second, when you sing, you use your physicalness more. You're, you're singing with your voice. It's more than just speaking. So not only are you praying with your words as we kind of talked about already but you're also praying with your actions and your being and the symbolism of the words there's so much that goes into music that uh, saint augustine basically says you're praying twice absolutely and it does something to unify in a way that merely speaking the text doesn't do like when we let's say you know, mass pray the our father I mean, people kind of go at different speeds or i'll put it this way if you're if you're ever praying the rosary um, publicly with a big group, mm -hmm. people are at different speeds on that Hail Mary. You know, like you have to, if you're leading it, you have to kind of listen and just you make the determinant on the amen and starting the next one because there's some people who are lagging behind. There's some people that were done before you even got to the name I of I feel Jesus. like in English, we're a little bit more succinct. Yeah. But when Spanish, you speak right in Spanish, they're all over the place. I can be all over the place. I will say we're getting better and better at that all the time here. <laughs> wonderful sacred art. But the funny thing about singing, it's like, you know, you have... And you're more, you're a musician. I'm not. This like was a meter and time, like just mm -hmm. the timing. Like there's something that unifies us when we're all singing together in a way that when we're just speaking things, it doesn't happen in the same way. Mm -hmm. And so it's part of the beauty of, you know, chant in the church, um, of all of us, you know, coming together and lifting up our voices. Uh, and obviously the text matters, the style of the chant. I mean, you can tell. You know, a difference in tone at the mass yesterday for Ash Wednesday than you could a couple months ago at Christmas. Like mm -hmm. They sound very different. Um, obviously, the text is very different, too. But the the beautiful thing about the music is, I mean, okay, it's another quote from St. Augustine, number 24 here under paragraph 157. How I wept, deep, how I wept deeply moved by your hymns, songs, and the voices that echoed through your church. What emotion I experienced in them. Those sounds flowed into my ears, distilling the truth in my heart. A feeling of devotion surged within me and tears streamed on my face, tears that did me good. Um, things that are done beautifully and well. Now, you don't just want emotionalism, you know, like emotions for emotion's sake and that's it. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not a big fan of it if you're happy and you know it because songs like that, it's like, you know what? There are people who come to mass, they're not happy and I'm not going to make them be. Like, they just lost a loved one. They have a son that's dealing with alcoholism and is suicidal. They just lost their job. I'm not going to be like, hey, be happy. You got to be happy. No, you don't have to be happy. There's no commandment to be happy. Mm -hmm. um, but the beauty of music at church, you know, it should inspire hope. And hope is not optimism. Hope is, you know, the realization of things unseen. Mm -hmm. um, the already but not yet. Jesus is risen from the dead. We have hope. I mean, I have to do a lot of funerals, you know, I'm going to have to do one tomorrow. Um, I say have to, it, I mean, it's an honor, but it's not easy. I mean, you know, I am going in with people. Um, I'll put this as I like to say about funerals. 
None of them are easy. Some are easier than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, to go in and face the reality that this person that you love, that you could talk to and be with, you know, a week ago, you can no longer be with and talk to. And how do we not all just melt in despair because we have hope? Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, the music should fit the you know, appropriate level of recognizing the reality of the situation, but at the same time, you know, lifting us up in the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and music has a has an ability and a power to do that. Um, and of course, you have to be careful um, not to exploit emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, they're sad. We're going to make them sadder, you know, or, you know, just playing off people's emotions, but being there to support unify the prayer and, you know, and, and keep people close to Christ. Yeah. And there's a lot that goes into music decisions at mass. I mean, absolutely. It's one of the three main things that we're focusing on here Mm -hmm. at uh, sacred heart music uh, message and the ministries. Yep. And so thanks to God that we have a wonderful director of sacred music. Uh, And (laughs) she really (laughs) takes most of those music and plans most, most of it every single Sunday. However, the reason why I believe, and I'm sure you agree with this, is that she's so good as A, she plays and sings beautifully, so there's just the raw talent. But it's that awareness of what is appropriate and how to play it appropriately, because you can still force a supposedly sad song and make it sound happy. Yeah. As you said, we're not driving emotions here. Mass is not about emotions. We really should not be going to Mass because of our emotions. We should be doing it because it's what is right and what Jesus asked us to. So how do we praise better with song? And how do we worship our world better with song? With the understanding that it's okay to have emotion, but this is not about emotion. It's about giving Him the honor and glory that's due and praying twice. And so that selection is so important. And you notice this a lot more when you go to other churches. Mm-hmm. We at Sacred Heart have a really good thing. Other churches might not have the same luck as we do. Um, and you you can easily recognize, like, you know what? That song just didn't make sense. Or I don't feel like it fit that liturgy well. Or that person did not have as much talent as they needed to do that. And it's not, that doesn't take away from the Mass, but you can definitely tell when you walk away, you went, that prayerful experience may not have been the best. And I don't, sometimes you can't even put your finger on it. Um, but you realize once you kind of compare and contrast the two, that, wow, I was able to pray so much better because of the leading of the music versus maybe not being as great. Um, so it is a very big thing that we at Sacred Heart focus on and try to make sure that with the words, with the actions, with everything that's going on, that the music takes a very large focus so that we can assist. So the music is always assisting people in prayer. Yeah. And I like the way you said that too, leading too, because it's not set to be a performance. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like with, with you know preaching, it's not a performance. It's everything's supposed to be there to you know, support people growing closer to Christ and Christ coming to people. I mean, it's all for the greater glory of God and the salvation of souls. It's not a setting for someone to perform well in music. It's not a setting for someone to be a wonderful orator. It's all there for an encounter with Christ, you know, living and effective there in the Eucharist, the source and summit of the sacraments. And so the music is there to 
help support that, you know, instead, you know, like unifying the voices of the faithful. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, I like where it, it says, says the unanimous yeah. participation of the assembly. Yeah. And I will say this, one of my favorite things about Sigurd makes me the most proud. I think our congregation sings so well mm-hmm. and people participate. And that I'll tell you, just personal anecdote. Um, New Year's Eve this year, I had flown back that morning from Illinois. You know me. When I come back from Illinois, I'm usually a little bit depressed because I've had to leave behind my nieces and nephews and my, you know, brothers and sisters. It's just it's difficult and I hate leaving them. Um, but I also love being the pastor of Sacred Heart, but sometimes I need a little Kickstarter to remember that, you know? Yeah. And you know, going into New Year's Eve Mass and the weather was dreary and it was bleh, went in there and people sang so well, you know, and just the responses were just awesome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I heard something cause I know, I think it's in Sacrosanctum Sanctum Concilium, which is the document on the liturgy from the Psychobatic Council where it talks about active participation. And I heard something recently about a different translation that is like actual participation, mm-hmm. meaning like everybody participates from the heart, mm-hmm. like does their part from the heart because it's, it's not, which didn't mean to rhyme there, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like it, it Basically, like we all have our part to play and to do it, you know, with sincerity, authenticity from the very heart of who we are. And whether that means you are in the congregation and you're responding, you know, from your heart doesn't mean you're yelling, but it means that, you know, when I say the Lord be with you, you respond and with your spirit. And both of us mean that. I mean, I'll tell you, it's it's very different preaching to a congregation that's checked out mm-hmm. as opposed to one that is engaged. Now, there may be no different sounds, no different movements, but there's something about the spirit of the place. And so last night, you know, it was uh, the 6 p.m. Ash Wednesday Mass. So it's my fourth Ash Wednesday liturgy of the day. And I'm going to be honest with you, I wasn't like 100% on energy. Mm-hmm. Um, my back was a little bit tired. Uh, especially after all the distribution of ashes. Um, but Flora started the Ubi Caritas. People sounded beautiful. Like people were really responding. And there's just something about that. It's sort of like we're all in this together. And uh, I just, yeah, I find that just so helpful and beautiful. And it's like when everybody's actually participating. And if you're there and you're in the pew and you're like, well, I don't have a role. Yeah, you do. You're at mass. You are praying. And and even if you're one amongst like last night, 11, I mean, I don't know how many people were there, but it was insane. <laughs> like it doesn't matter if you're one amongst a thousand. Okay. But you're being there, you're praying, you're being attentive. That has an effect. And I love that when we're all singing together. And I think that's one of the, the most beautiful things about Flora. So I think she has been able to do things in such a way that like it pulls more people in and really gets them participating. Yeah. And it's just, it's, I mean, she has a beautiful voice herself, but I don't ever feel like it's like, oh, it's the Flora show. It's like, no, I mean, it's, she pulls people in, in a way that's just beautifully done. Yeah. Even her leading in song yeah. is more of a participate with me yeah. rather than, well, sorry, you can't sing these notes, yeah. but here we go. Uh, yeah. You can just listen. Exactly. And it's just. I feel like we have a lot of actual participation. Mm-hmm. One other thing I'll say, because I know it says in here somewhere about the choice of the text, maybe this last 
last line in one yeah. day. But the text intended to be sung must always be in conformity with Catholic doctrine. Indeed, they should be drawn chiefly from the sacred scripture and from liturgical sources. One thing I'm really happy that we do, and this is a little conversation for and I have to have every week before the Sunday Mass. So a lot of times, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go back to the last Sunday because I don't know if this happens in Lent. But on uh, at least in ordinary time Sundays, for the communion antiphon, so the church in the list of her prayers for the Mass gives you an antiphon at the beginning of the Mass, and then um, you'll notice I say this after I receive communion. There's a little a little um, sentence or two from sacred scripture called the communion antiphon, and for it, I always discuss, we need to use option one or two. Mm-hmm. And so this last week, we used two. Lord, I have come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, who is coming into this world. And we've started during uh, distribution of Holy Communion, Flora does like the chant for that. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful because it's drawn from sacred scripture. These are like the literal words from sacred scripture that the church gives us to meditate on as we receive Holy Communion with the communion antiphon. So everything drawn, you know, for the music for the mass should kind of point back towards, you know, what was going on in the liturgy of the word? What time of the liturgical year are we in? Um, how is this going to help us to pray? Like the songs should all point towards those important things. So I'm just going to call out one song that I can't stand. This won't be like a long iteration of these are the songs I don't like. But there is one that mm-hmm. you've not heard here since I've been here. And I can't stand when I hear it in other places. Song Gather Us In. Mm. And here's We've seen that one a lot growing up. And here's the problem with Gather Us In. If you listen to the song Gather Us In, you know how many times it mentions God? Zero. Mm. It is all about us. You know, it's like, you know, gather. I and mean, the one that I always think gather of, you know, the, the rich and the haughty. What? The meek and the lame. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, it's just, and, and of course, like a lot of cynical priests do, I made up my own little verse for it there. <laughs> And it was, hey there, oh God, you're lucky to have us. We are so awesome. You're kind of lame. But here's the issue. The little verse that I just made mentions God more than that song actually does because it's all about us. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, like, that's not the mess. It's not all about us. Yes, we are a part of it. We are body, soul composites. We are there. But look, it's like if we're just getting together to pat each other on the back, we can do that in more comfortable chairs somewhere at, like, you know, Kiwanis Club and, you know, go do some kind of charity work. Fine. But like that's not the purpose of the Mass. It's the holy sacrifice of the Mass, the representation of the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we encounter sacramentally and then have hope for eternal life. Mm-hmm. It's great that we're there. Wonderful. But it's like we're receiving more than we're giving. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've gotten to the point in my life where it's like I can't live a day without going to Mass, without being a part of the Mass in some way. When I was sick a week and a half ago, I had to struggle to say mass on that Sunday. Um, my parents can tell you about that. Like it just, I don't think we had mass there at the house until like 6 p.m. Like I just couldn't get out of bed. I was so sick. But it's like you can't not have mass. I mean, and so it was a little bit brief. I did still give a homily because it was a Sunday, but it was literally like three words. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but like that's where we encounter Christ in the Eucharist. And once again, you talk about emotions not being a big part of it. I mean, was I on fire with love for our Lord that, no, you know, like if I'm honest, I felt like garbage, but I love our Lord Mm -hmm. and I powered through and we received him in the blessed sacrament. Now, I'm incredibly blessed. I'm a priest. I could barely get out of bed. Um, 
you know, most people don't have the option of, well, we're just going to have mass right over there. It'll be okay. I mean, it's, it's the, the little chapel set up in my house where we can do that. You know, not everybody has that option, but most people don't have, most people don't have that option. So, you know, very blessed in that, but all I'm, I'm putting that out there to say, it's like, God makes himself present. Mm -hmm. We live in an age where we can encounter Christ in the Eucharist without question. And I mean, you know, we can go over to the church anytime and be with him in the blessed sacrament. And it's not about how awesome we are. It's about how blessed we are that Christ is in our midst. And so the songs should reflect, you know, that mystery, the mystery. And that, okay. And I know we, we have some songs that we do over and over a lot here because I love them. Oh, God, beyond all praising. But the thing is, a lot of my favorite too. it's so good. And I mean, I love that at the end about, you know, and whether our tomorrows be filled with good or ill, that's so much more real than gather us in the proud and the haughty. It's like, <laughs> give me a break. Like, who cares about that? It's so boring. It's just about us. Like, whether our tomorrows are filled with good or ill, that is the reality. Mm -hmm. And whether it is, God's still going to be there with us. We'll rise to bless you still. And because the fact of the matter is, it will be one of those two things every single day. I have a funeral tomorrow. And then later on in the day, I'll probably go high five the kids, you know, and it's like, we'll get both and Christ will be present with both. And the, the texts in the mass reflect that reality. And the more we sentimentalize that or it's just about emotion, mm -hmm. like I said, emotion is fine and it should be brought in because it's a part of things. But as I've heard, heard about our emotions before. They make good horses, but not good chariot drivers, right? They make good slaves, not good masters. Mm. Like they are a part of who we are and our emotions are going to play a part. I'll say this about him because I love him and I think this is a compliment and I hope he takes it this way. Every time we, we have, oh God, beyond all praising, the deacon cries. And it, it makes me so, like, I love it and I appreciate that because, I mean, it's just, I love that song so much too. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not like we're p playing it so we can get some tears out of people. You know, it's like it, we play it because it, it expresses the deep reality of what's going on. Yeah, the joys of reality. It's so amazing. So, yeah. Okay, that was a little bit of a long run. No, that's totally that. fine. Yeah. We are, we are a little bit behind, behind on pace. pace. Sorry about that. But, but I think we're still doing we're still great. great. Holy, Holy images. images. Yes. Just come to church. Come see our church. It's so beautiful. Ultimately, I think the best way to understand why holy images are so important is just to walk into a beautiful church. I agree. I mean, read this section of the Catechism, but just look intimately at our stained glass windows. Yeah. Look at the beautiful statue they brought back from Fatima. I mean... These, These things, things just, just radiate joy in the truth of the gospel message. Absolutely. And ultimately yeah. being surrounded by the beautiful art that we have, because we do have a lot of beautiful art. And we're actually adding some new pieces recently. We added the uh, icon by the... Yeah, yeah. Sars. The banner from the Congress. Go look at that banner. It is a beautiful banner. The more I look at it, the more I just appreciate the craftsmanship of that banner. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. It, it just makes sense. And yeah. the thing is like whitewashing things just doesn't make any sense. God made everything beautiful. Like he didn't have to adorn, you know, rose bushes with beautiful blooms to attract our attention. It could have just been thorns, mm -hmm. but God adorned them with roses. Like he does things in a beautiful way. I don't know if you saw the sunrise this morning, but it was incredible. Like when I got here, it was just a little before seven and like the sun was like red on the horizon. It was awesome. 
God does things in beautiful ways. He wants us to appreciate those things. Because not once you go in that church and say, look at the St. Therese window and go, oh, St. Therese, I work. Like, no. But you go, thank you, God, for this beautiful 24-year-old who was able to do so much in her brief time on this earth. And look at the way that the sun shines through this beautiful image of her in this window in the same way that your grace shone through her. And now she's a doctor of the church and can teach us so much. Mm-hmm. And in a way that, like, if you go in the church, like, nope, it needs to be whitewashed. Where do you draw that from? Like, why does it need to be whitewashed? No, we can't think about things. Why? That doesn't make any sense. Well, you know, pictures can be distracting. Everything can be distracting. If I go sit in a big whitewashed room, guess what? I'm going to be thinking about other things, too. You're, you're not going to have anything to focus on. No, not at all. Whereas when we have the things there that are signs and symbols of God's love reflected over the ages, it helps us to lift our minds and hearts to heaven. It helps us to pray. And yeah, I just, and you know what I love too, is that they're all real things. They're not screens, you know, Mm -hmm. because so much of our life now is screens and it's all passing and moving through. And, you know, you can watch like lately I've kind of gotten into, although I'm not trying not to watch any YouTube for Lent, but there's this um, Georgian pianist like Katya Bratislava or something like that. Mm. Watching her play things like um, Rhapsody in Blue is because I mean she's playing all from memory, mm-hmm. and it's incredible, you know, to see things like that and just someone like you know going to town on those things. I mean, there's just something so beautiful about taking stuff in. But even you know with that, it's passing. I can go from that to like a stupid cat video on YouTube and it's all on the same screen. You, know? you would be a cat video kind of guy. I don't watch cat videos. <laughs> it was just the first thing that came to my mind because I heard before, what's the internet? Eh, it's mostly cat videos. It actually is. Yeah. You, you were actually very good with your example there. Yeah. And I had to take advantage. I appreciate that. It's okay. But you know, like there's something so great about the statue of our blessed, the Immaculate Mary, the statue from, of Our Lady of Fatima over there in the church. She's there. Mm-hmm. You're not going to go over there and swipe to something else. Like you can go sit there and she's looking at you. Mm-hmm. And I that image is just so beautiful. And I it just seems like her face changes from day to day. You know, it's like sometimes she looks happy, sometimes she looks more concerned. And so you know, I mean it, there's just something beautiful about that. In the same way, like looking at a picture of a loved one, mm-hmm. it reminds you of your love for them, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not gonna worship a picture of them. I'm not even going to like hug a picture of them in the same way I would them. It's helpful. It's nice to look at it. But in the same way, like tomorrow, we have a picture of Mr. Durak, whose funeral we have tomorrow. No one's going to mistake that picture for him, right? I mean, it's sad to have lost him. I really enjoyed my time with him. Didn't get to spend a lot of it, but I always enjoyed his company. I know that picture we have of him on the, the program. It's not him. But it reminds me of him. It's going to help me as I'm preaching. I'll have it sitting there like I normally do. It's just kind of a nice thing to look at. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, those those images lift our minds and hearts to God. And to pretend that we're like emotionless robots who need things whitewashed is just, sorry, but dumb. I just don't like it at all. So so homework, come to our church. Gosh. Look at the beauty of our church. It's so Remind, Remind yourself, yourself of, of the beauty of God, God with the beauty of our church because we're very blessed and lucky. We sure are. And we have the beauty of God all around us as you pull up Lumen Christie Lane. We're yes. surrounded by acreage of God's glory. Yes, indeed. Yeah, we've got a great place. All right. Well, all right. We are now, we are now on, on to when, when is the liturgy celebrated. <laughs> And most of this this section section is actually actually about about the liturgical liturgical seasons, liturgical liturgical year, year, the Lord's Lord's Day. Day. 
Which, as we always talk about, it's always so providential when we're talking about the catechism. It just lines up so well with what we're talking about. I mean, we just entered a new liturgical season of Lent in preparation for the most important liturgical season of Easter, which actually gets mentioned here in this part of the catechism quite a bit. Absolutely. Um, But I think the big parts here that I really kind of want to emphasize is the fact that we get the entirety of the life of Christ in a year. I so appreciate that the church and their their wisdom said, you know what? We're going to celebrate in a liturgical cycle the birth, death, resurrection, the entire ministry of Christ. You get it in the whole calendar year, because again, we're physical creatures. We already understand the year and the seasons and things. Um, and so we do every year, we get to celebrate the same mysteries over and over again. And just as the homilies don't get boring, the gospel doesn't get boring. It's not like, ha, we already did this. We know what Easter is. We don't need to do this again. No, it's just as exciting the next year, celebrating with that Easter candle, coming into the dark church, lights go on. I mean, it's awesome every single time that we do it. And I get to participate in that. And so I think the liturgical year is just so beautiful and understanding the liturgical year in the life of the faith and using that as a tool to teach about faith, to teach about the church and our beliefs um, in God is so wonderful for me as, am I still a young adult? Am I actually, I don't know, for uh, an individual um, and my children, right? They, we all can find so much joy in that and understand, oh yeah, this is a new season. This is something new that I'm supposed to be focusing on something different now than I was in ordinary time. Yeah. I'm hungry. Yeah, I probably won't be hungry for 40 days because I was silly and gave up too much. Um, but trying, trying, trying for Christ. You didn't go with the cold challenge. Oh, no. That was too much. That was, I drew the line there. I'm like, I will give up as much food as possible. That's But I know the cold challenge. I did it one year. Uh, I, I can say I did it. Yeah. I, was, I think it was, like, it was like a year ago. I think we challenged each other yeah. to that. Yeah. So that's right, right, right before Lent started. Yep. yep. Yeah. Which would have been on a Thursday. It would have been on it. Because it was, it was, uh, yeah, you challenged me to every Friday of Lent. Yeah. Yep. And that's what we did. So. And I did, I did it. Not joyfully. I know. I know. But yeah, but yeah. no, and it all leads for Easter. And I, I do find it fascinating, you know, as it goes through the Lord's Day, 1166, 1167, the liturgical year, talking about all about the Easter Triduum, 1169. Therefore, Easter is not simply one feast among others, but the Feast of Feasts. And I love this too, for the Easter Vigil, it says something about the, uh, it says, tonight is um, uh, something about the greatest vigil year. In fact, the mother of all vigils. Mm-hmm. And I just, I love that that phrase and Father Balky and I always, the mother of all vigils. Mm-hmm. And it's, oh, I do love the Easter Vigil so much. You know, so the Feast of Feasts, Solemnity of Solemnities, just as the Eucharist is the Sacrament of Sacraments, the Great Sacrament. St. Athanasius calls Easter the Great Sunday, and the Eastern churches call Holy Week the Great Week. The mystery of the resurrection in which Christ crushed death permeates with its powerful energy our old time until all is subjected to him. That's an awesome paragraph. Oh my gosh, it's so good. And I mean, and really, like before, it's like all time about how Sunday is so important. Why? Because we're celebrating Easter every Sunday. I mean, Jesus is risen from the dead. And it's like, we can't say that enough because without that, nothing else makes sense. Like it makes no sense for us to continue on as Christians. If Jesus is not risen from the dead, we're the most pitiable of all people. Mm-hmm. I mean, St. Paul says it right there. 
don't remember the exact citation, but you know what I'm saying. Um, and even goes on, what, oh, about the dating in 1170. Yep. This is the thing I, I kind of smirked about and kind of enjoyed. Okay, 1171, after all these paragraphs, how, how awesome Easter is. In the liturgical year, the various aspects of the one Paschal mystery unfold. Now, one Paschal mystery, basically the triduum. Mm-hmm. Um, so throughout the year, they unfold. This is also the case with the cycle of feasts surrounding the mystery of the incarnation. In brackets, Annunciation, Christmas Epiphany. They commemorate the beginning of our salvation and communicate to us the first fruits of the Paschal mystery. I just find it amazing that like Christmas gets so much attention. Annunciation gets almost no attention. Epiphany gets some attention, not so much here in the United States, but it's like the catechism gives it like two sentences, kind of, at the end of this liturgical year thing. It's like Easter is so important. And I guess it's one of those things where you can just sort of see like the culture doesn't jump on with us on this. Mm -hmm. It does on Christmas. Which, thanks be to God. I appreciate the fact that we can focus on it liturgically and not commercially. Yeah. Yeah. And even with commercially, it was funny. Our tour guide was very anti-Easter bunnies. He's like, it has nothing to do with Christmas or nothing to do with Easter. Has the tour guide in the Holy Land? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. He was very – because he was saying how they're – they give each other um, Easter eggs that are dyed red mm-hmm. that have to do with that, you know, Jesus has died, but, you know, like the yoke coming out is like risen from the mm-hmm. dead. And it's like they, they say, you know, you know, Christ is risen. Indeed, he is truly risen. Hallelujah. And they, you know, exchange these eggs because it's a symbol of new life. He's like, what are these, what are these rabbits? Like, what is the point? He's like, it's some stupid pagan thing. You go, stop buying that stuff from China and they'll quit making it. It was just, it was really funny. Um, but you know, that's the thing. It's like, it kind of gets trivialized out there. Whereas it's like, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, to say Jesus is risen from the dead, like he's not just one among many great guys over the years. He is God. He loves us so much to become one of us, to die for us and that death cannot hold him down. And he has risen from the dead. We still live in a fallen world. And so those are still fighting words because that's not saying like, yeah, I'm Christian. You know, it's kind of a thing that I do. But it's like, no, I mean, this is the foundation of all reality. This is why I took cold showers last year. There you go. Last year. <laughs> I do still take them. But yeah, but it, I, to be fair, that, to I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't enjoy it, but I do like the way it makes you feel after the fact. Anywho. But yeah, same thing though. Like I do it because I love our Lord. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of the things that I do, it's because I love our Lord. And he loves us, and it's that love which conquers all things. And so, yeah, it affects all time. In fact, the words, when I get to carve in, you know, the different symbols on the Easter candle, mm-hmm. it's all about Jesus being the Alpha and the Omega. You know, all time comes from him, all time's leading toward him. Like, he encompasses all things. And that's why when we start to get, you know, down about, okay, the liturgical year, it encompasses everything. We go through the whole life of Christ every year. Do we still live in a fallen world? You bet we do. Are there still things that are causes of concern? Absolutely. But Jesus is risen from the dead. We're going to be fine. And we need that reminder literally every moment of every day. And so the church gives us things to sanctify everything throughout the whole year. And in fact, that will kind of lead us to the way that the church sanctifies every moment with the liturgy of the hours. So not just with mass, um, but every day we're given prayers to pray throughout the whole day. Yeah, I don't think there's anything else I wanted to focus on the calendar. I think Easter. That's, yeah, that's I mean, really, it's, really it's right there. All around, all around Easter, Easter. and we're coming up to Easter. Up. So, so come to the Easter visual if you haven't already. And, so great. Hey, all, everyone that came to Ash Wednesday, remember, Easter was the reason we did that. We'd love to see you at Easter. It would be amazing. 
Yeah. Just think if you had a like, like what do you say, like a thousand people at six p.m. It was mass? so crowded. I mean, what's our biggest Easter mass? Probably the vigil. No, it's no, no. It's either it's probably the ten thirty. But I mean, it's not even standing room only. Probably mm, it's it's full. Okay, but it's it's not. No, I mean, I would say the most crowded masses of the year are the five p.m. Christmas Eve and last night's six p.m. Ash Wednesday. Now, in the past, I think it was the eight p.m. Ash Wednesday in Spanish, but last night it flipped. Six p.m. was just oh my gosh. It was a long mass. So it was beautiful. I'm grateful that it happened. But man, my back kind of paid for it yesterday. Yeah. Luckily, I recovered pretty Just that slight leaning over to ashes, but times that by. Yeah. Five different liturgies. A lot of that one in particular. Yeah. It was probably a solid 45 minutes of ash distribution. Wow. So that is a lot. It is. All right. So we got two more things to talk about later the hours. And then where's the liturgy celebrated? I actually kind of want to skip to the where real quick. Do that. Then move on to the Liturgy of the Hours because we wanted to focus more on the Liturgy of the Hours. We're basically out of time, but you know what? We'll just keep going until we feel like we're done. Okay. Um, so um, where's so the Liturgy celebrated? celebrated? <laughs> I really like this. Anywhere. Yeah. You can literally celebrate the Liturgy anywhere you are because God created all of nature, all beauty, the entire world. So we can celebrate anywhere. Now it is more appropriate to do that in a church. And, and to be fair, the Catechism is citing when it says anywhere about the worship in spirit and in truth mm-hmm. of the New Covenant. It's citing uh, the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John where Jesus is having that conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. You know, like where he, where she says, like, you know, we say you worship on, on this mountain. Which mountain is that? Um, begins with an H, I think. He's Hebron. been to the no, Holy Land twice. But I haven't been. I haven't spent a lot of time in Samaria. <laughs> um, but you know, we say you worship here, but you all say you have to go to Jerusalem. And Jesus talks about worshiping in spirit and in truth. Yep. You know, and that's the thing. Like, yes, I have been to the Holy Land twice, but still, like the 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 biggest encounters with God in my entire life, I would say, did not take place in the Holy Land. Didn't take place in Rome. You know, it's like Christ can encounter us anywhere as we worship in spirit and in truth. Yeah. Anyway, continue. And then it talks then it about talks churches themselves. I really like these in uh, 1181. Uh, this house ought to be built in good taste in a worthy place for prayer and sacred ceremonial. Basically, goes back to the whitewashing, right? Yeah. We already talked about that. 1182 through 1186, <laughs> talk about all the beautiful parts of a church and why they're important. Um, we have all these parts. Mm-hmm. The only the one only that we one don't really, really get to see, see, maybe we should talk about moving it. The chrism. The yeah. chrism. We have the ambry just back in the sacristy. To be fair, our ambry is nothing that we would put out, though. It's just like a wooden box. I know. Isn't it? I mean, all the beauties, all the beauties of our church, church and then our ambry is like, oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, we it's maybe we could. No, it's a good idea. Maybe, yeah. maybe when we maybe pay up the debt, debt, we'll yeah. invest in something really nice and fancy and find a good place for it. To be fair, I was thinking the same thing reading through. I mean, we did we did pretty well throughout this, though. Like, I like the one, too. So, 1184, the lectern or ambo. Um, it says, the dignity of the word of God requires the church to have a suitable place for announcing his message so that the attention of the people may be easily directed to that place during the liturgy of the word. So the place where the word of God is proclaimed needs to have a particular dignity to it. And that's why, like, if we're going to be making announcements, we don't use the ambo. We use that canter stand. Um that ambo is specifically reserved for the proclamation of the word of God and for preaching on the word mm-hmm. of God. And so everything always needs to have that specific, you know, liturgical, scriptural character when it's when we use the ambo. Um, so that's why you don't go to the ambo to, you know, 
make requests for this, that, or the other thing. Um, but yeah, I just, I really like that. And I remember hearing a talk once by Father J. Scott Newman on how priests shouldn't junk it up. Because sometimes you see places where there's like stuff stacked up there, like, you know, this particular book, or this stuff, these announcements, these bulletins, like, don't do that. Like in the same way, you they have get, a lot of space behind them. Usually, yeah. you can stick a lot of stuff in there. Ours not very big, to be honest. There's with one you. little shelf, yep, one little there. shelf, and it's not even like it's as deep as my breather. Like it, stuff sticks over it, and it's funny because I like to kind of lean in. So it's like I like that to basically be empty because mm-hmm. I don't want to be hitting stuff because I don't want to knock it over when I'm because I move around when I talk. Um, but yeah, I just I liked that in particular. You know, going through about the altar and the symbolism of the altar. Well, I like going through these spots and thinking about, as we were talking about the holy images, and go, wow, we have a really nice baptistry. We do? Oh, those confessionals are beautiful. And, oh, yeah, the tabernacle, that's definitely the center of the church. And, I mean, we just encompass this so well. We do. And, yeah, we've got an amazing church. Yeah, even with the, yeah, the baptistry. I love the placement too, because with baptism being the first sacrament, mm-hmm. it's at the entrance of the yes, church. The church is a baptist or a baptismal font, like way up at like the altar altar. Yeah. And the ones that have the movable ones, yeah, those are always kind of. Like, I know I'm not a fan of that either. And I, yeah, there's something. And no and offense to any church or any no, person that has no. one of those at their parish. And this, but, thing, but and you, and you receive what you've inherited. Mm-hmm. And but I, you know, everything like there's there's rich symbolism in so many different things. And I understand. I know some places put it up front because like they'll have like a big, you know, like they do it at the Sunday mass. There's a lot of people there they want them to see. But even with ours, with the glass doors, you turn around, you can see a lot of what's yeah, going I, on at Baptist. And I mean. Since it's in the narthex, if you want families to come back there, there's a lot of space back there. Really is, and you have seven tomorrow, and that might be getting a little tight back. It's a little tight, but we figure it out. It's not too bad. So yeah, and then we make our, and it's nice because not tomorrow, Saturday. Saturday, in the midst of the baptismal rite, after the explanatory rites, so the anointing with chrism, the white garment, the candle. Um, the epitha prayer with the ears and the lips. After that, we process up to the front of the church to the altar. So it's like now they're a part of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. We move into the church. Mm-hmm. This is another dramatic thing I like to do. I have one of the servers go over and kick on the lights at that point. So the church has been dimmed. And then once they enter in, having been enlightened by Christ, receiving light of Christ, then the lights come on when they walk in. I love that. We go up to the front. We pray the Our Father. There's a blessing for mom and dad and everybody there. And then we go over to the Mary uh, altar and say a prayer for the protection of the little guy, our blessed mother, who is entrusted with the care of our Lord. I mean, it's just there's something beautiful about the, like, movement into the church after they've been baptized and received into the body of Christ. And just using the whole space. Oh, it's awesome. You know, you don't want to just say, okay, it's all going to happen here. Yep. No, let's use the entirety of the church and that the, I don't know, it's a little bit of like a theater stuff. You want to use the whole stage and the blocking and the coordination. There's a little bit of theatrical. We've got it. It speaks to the heart. It does. And once again, we are body, soul units. And when you're moving, when you put that kind of effort into it, it shows this is very important. And, you know, okay. And and in a way, too, it's like, okay, you've been baptized. Now it's time to be on the move. I mean, you, you are. Okay, you have received this awesome treasure that is never going to be taken away from you. You can't be unbaptized. Um, and now we're going to move deeper into the, the heart of Christ, and he's going to send you out to bring more people in. And it's, it's awesome. So, good stuff. All right. Now, remind me a bit. Where is your hours? Father. Father. Yes. Give me 10 minutes. Okay. 
I think you can do it. I, oh, easily. <laughs> the church has asked us to pray constantly. I brought with me today my one of the volumes. I think it's volume two of the Liturgy of the Hours, because that is the volume we are in right now, mm-hmm. uh, Lent and Easter. Um, and basically, we priests and religious promise to pray this. Uh, it's five times a day. Um, so I'll be on evening prayer here in a little bit where you work your way through. Uh, and it begins, oh yeah, what we were saying before about the big A word, right? Mm-hmm. So the way it yes, begins, right. the way it begins is God comes to my assistance, Lord, make his tell me, glory to the Father and to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. And then typically, throughout the whole year, except for during Lent, you say, Amen, Alleluia. And it's funny, especially in the seminary, because we're chanting it, and it's always, you know, Amen, and half of you go, ah. <laughs> and, it, and, and it takes like a solid week before guys stop doing yeah. it. And, you know, so I prayed on my own now. I, I will say I loved in the seminary. We came together twice a day to pray the Liturgy of the Hours for morning prayer and evening prayer, which are kind of like the principal hours. Mm-hmm. You have early on in the day, Office of Readings, which you can kind of move, but I always do that first. So Office of Readings um, and then morning prayer. Mm-hmm. You have daytime prayer, which is very brief evening prayer, and then night prayer, which is also pretty brief, which involves an examination of conscience before you go to bed. And morning prayer, well, how how long is the rotation for Office of Readings? Is that four weeks as well? Uh, with the Psalms, yes. So Now, with the first, so with, with Office of Readings, you get three Psalms, and then you get a reading from Sacred Scripture, mm-hmm. which we just began Exodus today. Mm-hmm. And then you get like a commentary um or something from a saint so this morning is that unique every single day throughout the year or do you rotate on the the readings uh you rotate on the the readings that i've had about no 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 you're great i mean so every thursday after ash wednesday you get this reading from a sermon from saint leo the great but so it's on a a yearly Mm -hmm. rotation yep yep so so i'm not getting saint leo the great the same you know page and a half Every single, you know, every four weeks. Yeah. Um, no, it's new. And it's the same way with the first readings. Like I said, today we read uh, chapter one, verses one to 22 of Exodus. Mm-hmm. And then you get this brief little responsory and then this commentary. Now, I could have also chosen today, but I did not um, because it's the second day of Advent. I didn't feel like already jumping off it. But second, today's, day of Lent. Uh, second day of Lent, sorry. Um, today is also the feast day of St. Polycarp. But when it comes to Lent, the days of Lent kind of take pride of place. So sometimes what I'll do, like let's say I have a big devotion to Polycarp. Like I may go and read his his thing later. Because like this, it's from a letter on the martyrdom of St. Polycarp by the church uh, by the church of Smyrna. So it talks about his martyrdom. I mean, I'm just going to read the first paragraph. When the pyre was ready, meaning like the burning stake, mm-hmm. Polycarp took off all his clothes and loosened his undergarment. He made an effort also to remove his shoes, though he had been unaccustomed to this, for the faithful always vied with each other in their haste to touch his body. Even before his martyrdom, he'd received every mark of honor and tribute to his holiness of life. And they like continue to go on. Oh, yeah. So they, he wouldn't want to take off his shoes because people would want people to, want to do it for him. It's sort of like oh, do it for I, him. I heard this thing about like, so ben, Father Benedict Rochelle, right? Like there, was, there were like different monks who took care of him. And they would like hold on to different things. Like if they like helped him trim his nails, they'd like hold on to it because they were sure he was going to be a saint. They wanted the relics. <laughs> I found this interesting. So there and then he was surrounded by the material for the pyre. When they tried to fasten him also with nails, he said, leave me as I am. The one who gives me strength to endure the fire will also give me strength to stay quite, quite still on the pyre, 
even without the precaution of your nails. Like, that's bold. You yes. know, like they want to nail him to the pike because they're going to light him on fire. He's like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm Polycarp, you know? And he, so Polycarp, just to let you know who he was, St. Polycarp, the Bishop of Smyrna and a disciple of the apostles, accompanied St. Ignatius of Antioch, who I think was a, a disciple of St. Peter, mm-hmm. uh, St. Ignatius of Antioch to Rome to confer with Pope um, Inesitus concerning the celebration of Easter. About the year 155, he suffered martyrdom by burning at the stake in the amphitheater at Smyrna. So, He's awesome. You know, I mean, it's, it's a cool thing, but he takes a back seat to we're into Lent now. Like yesterday, actually, we've been the chair of St. Peter, and I mentioned him in the Eucharistic prayer. Um, but that got bumped because of Ash I Wednesday. I noticed you mentioned Peter, yeah. and I'm like, chair of Peter on February why, why are 22nd. we saying Peter on Ash Wednesday? Yeah. I'm so confused. Because so in, the, in the third Eucharistic prayer, you have an option to insert yep. a saint, and he was the saint of the day, but he got bumped because of Ash Wednesday. I was like, I'll still include him in the list. So, um, so you got liturgy. So you've got uh, officer readings, which you normally say first. Readings, the readings you do are different every single day. Every Psalms day. are a four week rotation. Mm-hmm. Morning prayer. Psalms on a four week rotation. Daytime prayer, the Three. one week rotation. I uh, know it's four. They're uh, all they're evening. all four week. Uh, all are four week rotation except for night. Night prayer is the one yep, week rotation. Exactly. Um, which you can darn near just memorize that. Yeah. Um, I mean. I already have half night prayer memorized because yeah. it's the same every single time. It is. And it's, yeah, it's not that difficult, which is helpful. It's like the church recognizes, you know, not only that we need the liturgical year, but the day, you know, I mean, it's like, okay, you wake up in the morning, you know, more fresh, you have your coffee, like this is getting alert time. So yeah, they're going to give you some more things to kind of study and the get coffice. into the coffee, which I pray every morning, <laughs> um, which is very helpful. And, uh, yeah, so there's more to reflect on. We're night prayer. You're reflecting on the day, but it's like one psalm, maybe two. There's two on Wednesday and Saturday, but um, they're still pretty brief. Mm-hmm. You know, very brief reading, very brief responsory. The Canticle of Simeon. You know, Lord, now you let your servant go in peace, um, and then protect us, Lord, as we stay awake, watch over us as we sleep, that awake we may keep watch with Christ and sleep rest in His peace. Closing prayer, hymn to our blessed Mother. Lights out. I mean, it's it's lovely. You know, just it, it's it's nice because you barely have to think about it. And um, just, yeah, the church knows us and knows when you can put in more thought and when you're probably going to be more tired and the body's starting to shut down. Mm-hmm. But that's every single day. You know, um, we do have like certain dispensations. Like if I celebrate three masses in a day, I'm technically dispensed from but the you office. You have more obligation to pray the liturgy of the hours than you do say mass. Yep. I'm not obliged to say mass every day. I am obliged to say my breviary every day. Um, and one of the ways that I heard it explained once was from a brother at the um, Franciscan Monastery up in Marytown in Illinois, right there by Mundelein. They have an awesome Maximilian Colby shrine. Mm. And this brother kind of walked my friend, now Father Vince Giacobazzi, and I through it. And he, he likened it to... You know, the church is the bark of Peter, right? It's like a big ship. And all the priests and religious praying liturgy there. And then the faithful, too. I mean, this talks about there's a preference. Oh, yeah. A, Some a of these preference, the yeah. faithful praying it is really powerful. Yeah, and preference to pray Vespers on Sunday, which we used to do occasionally. The tough thing is, it's like after the full three masses, I'm pretty If we had a second priest, we I would feel like it. we could do it a oh, lot. We could pull it off. And I think... And God bless Flora. She wants to do it. But I mean, three masses, I mean, it, it does take it out of you. Like there's a spiritual energy to it. And there's a reason why the church only lets us say three a day. Um, but yeah, the, this priest, he was saying, or this brother, that, you know, if you think about the church as the ship, you know, like moving over the sea of the world, 
It's like the breath of all these people praying. It's like pushing the sails along, mm-hmm. like through the waves and all this. And so, you know, we are, and, and we have to pray. It, I think when I promise to pray this every day in uh, ordination, it's like, do you promise to pray with and for the people of God? It's like, I do. And so every- You made that promise as a deacon. As a deacon. So I made that promise April 26, 2009. So it's been, you know, we're coming up on 14 years and I'll just show you real quick. So um, for morning prayer, because this is when I do this. So there's a hymn. You've got three psalms. Um, and then you get just like a brief reading, which the reading is back here. You get a reading. You get the response read. You get the canticle. Um, shoot, that's even prayer. You get the canticle of Zechariah. You know, bless people of God. Like this, the speech that Zechariah makes when, when he's going to name John the Baptist and he can probably talk again. Mm-hmm. We get a little... Uh, Antiphon for that. Then we get the intercessions. I feel like I alluded to this in like the last catechism show. But when I, so I'm praying this at home in the morning. So it's the first thing I do when I get up. I pray officer readings and I go right into morning prayer. Mm-hmm. I made my coffee first. So I'm going to do that. But once I get through the intercessions, I have my list of intentions that I go through. And now it probably takes me between 25 and 30 minutes to go through the whole list. That's longer than praying the opposite readings and morning prayer. Basically. So it takes me about an hour to do the whole thing every morning now. And, you know, because I'm praying for the parish, my family, um, my religious sister friends, my religious male friends, the diocesan priests, you know, diocese of Charlotte and the ones that are specifically entrusted to my care. So like I pray for all the priests so that I carry it. I pray for all the priests that I represent on the personnel committee. Mm-hmm. I pray for Das and priests throughout the world who I know. I pray for the priests, the archdiocese, and the military. I pray for all those who are entrusted with seminary formation, the guys I went to seminary with. And then I have a list of all the priests that I know that are in any kind of trouble, you know, in an awkward situation, that have been accused, that are in ill health. I pray for our seminarians. I pray for those who are discerning both priesthood and religious life. And those in the angelic confraternity. I pray for our couples preparing for marriage, those working on annulments, and for all of our married couples. Mm-hmm. And then I pray for our first responders, fire, police, medical, for those in the military. Then I go through this interesting list for all of uh, my friends from birth to present. And I, like, I have a list of people I pray for by name. And that one, there's some that are always there. And then there's some that get added to the list, maybe fall off the list at mm-hmm. some point. Then I pray for specifically the people I get to work with here at Sacred Heart. So first I pray for the parish. But then I get to the point where it's like I pray for everybody by name that works under this roof. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, the people I'm working close and their families. And then let's see. So when I get to the end of that, I pray for the people um, – who teach me about the faith and about what's going on in the church. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Chap, Dr. Ralph Martin, I put those two together because I kind of find it funny. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Skahan, Dr. Bergsma, Dr. Royal, who does the Catholic thing, and Dr. Smith, who I was always excited, I promised I would pray for him. Mm-hmm. Um, for Phil Lawler and Jeff Miras, who do Catholic World News, and then for Ed Condon and J.D. Flynn. And they always say, oh, pray for us, we need it. You know, because <laughs> it's like, those guys do so well, and I really appreciate their work. I pray for all of the people that have made my pilgrimages possible and seen these important mm-hmm. places. Armando, who's the guy who's taken us around in Fatima, and for Shafiq and now George and Sammy Abufara and his wife Bisan. Mm-hmm. Um, for all my godchildren and confirmation sponsees. I don't know the right word for that. For all of our people. Confirmande. Confirmande. Um, for all of our people in RCIA. Then for all the sick and the suffering. And of course, that lists you know, it just changes. Like there's specific people on my mind that are no or sick that have asked me to pray for them, people from former parishes. And then of course, then some people drop off of that list. You know, I was praying for, uh, 
And I pray for like their spouse too. Like I was praying for Tom and Kristen Chesney for a long time. You know, and he passed away a couple months ago. And it's like, okay, it's like now it's funny because like uh, it'll still pop into my mind like, well, for Kristen, you know, and then like and people that are homebound. I've been praying for the Bulls forever, you mm-hmm. know, uh, Jim and Ruth Bulls. Um, you know, people that, you know, obviously I'm not going to go to everybody. I don't think they'd mind me mentioning them. Um, and then for those who are oppressed by the devil, um, someone that you and I went and blessed her house. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to mention her by name, but you know, it's like those people. Then I pray for those who have recently died. Those I'm about to have funerals for those who are buried in our cemetery. Then I pray for all my priest friends who have died. And then I start with family, Pope Benedict the 16th. And, you know, now there's that, uh, Bishop O'Connell who got mm-hmm. killed out in, in, in California. Um, and then my own personal friends like Father um, Wilbur Thomas, Father Christopher Real, who passed away, Father Michael Cotter, Father Paul Mankowski, who I look up to, all my sister friends who have passed away, all my deacon friends who have passed away, um, all of our benefactors who have passed away, mm-hmm. um, Bill Marge O'Neill, Donna Mary Gay Brady. Those are the two that always come to mind. And then I go through a list of all the people I know who have died suddenly. And as I work through that, I get to the people who have died by suicide. And unfortunately, that's quite a list mm. at this point. Um, but I pray for them every day. And then I get to, then I pray for myself. Because um, I say, like, I entrust, you know, all those who have died suddenly, especially by suicide, into the burning furnace of charity that is your most sacred heart. And I say, and by those same flames of charity, please purify me as your son. Because I'm created, you know, in your image and likeness mm-hmm. as a brother to my brothers and sisters in Christ, as a spouse of the church. And then I say, and help me to live up to, you know, like help me to bear good fruit and live up to the lofty title of father. In order to do that, here's what I need. And I, I think I talked about this last time. Mm-hmm. All the virtues that I need. And then I go through this long litany of all the saints that I need their help to be a priest of faith, hope, and love humility, obedience, and chaste fidelity. Then I pray the Our Father, closing prayer, and I'm done. But and all of that was not part of the Liturgy of the Hours. Father adds that into the I Liturgy of the Hours. It's funny, if you ever listen to, there's a, um, okay, on the Star Quest production network mm-hmm. that does the Jimmy Akin show, they have what's called the Prey Station Portable. And um, uh, I'll be done in a second. Uh, so they have Prey Station Portable. And it's funny because when he gets to the end of the intentions, he goes, you can pause now to add your own intentions. And I take him very seriously because <laughs> it takes me a while. But I like it because in that way, it's like, you know, someone has asked me to pray for them. I'll just throw her out there because I think she watches the show and she'll appreciate it. Maria Perkins. She's had some health issues. It's not been easy. And I know that. And, and it's tough. So she's in there. You know, it's like I, you know, I can I can put those people in there. And because I promise to pray with and for the people of God, um, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to do that very intentionally. So, and I just got word that my 445 appointment is here. We were supposed to be done 20 minutes ago, but I got excited. Talk about I said this. 10 minutes. <laughs> and how long did I take? 25. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm glad that I like talking about the thing that I have to do. And I'm glad that I now have a nice little anecdote that I could pick on you about. Yeah, about being late to help the people of God that I'm praying for. <laughs> Two minutes. That's fun. And if you don't know what that anecdote is, go back and watch our wrap-up of the Holy Land pilgrimage, and then you will know what that anecdote is. Yeah, that was fun. You might be outside the circle, but we can bring you inside the circle. Get back in the circle. go watch that recording. You know what's funny? I feel like our last couple episodes have been shorter, and then this one. Yeah, and then this one goes forever. And I'm supposed to go on a date. What time are you supposed to? Okay, okay, good. So it wasn't like you have to be there at five. Okay, good. I think I told the babysitter six. I think Kara wanted to push that earlier. We'll figure out. Okay. But. We'll cut in the middle. I'll be home by five. There you go. That's wonderful. All right, let's pray. You got in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord, 
We thank you for the fact that you are always with us, making that known and showing it to us throughout the liturgical year, throughout every moment of the day, through the beautiful liturgy that is the holy sacrifice of the Mass, through the rosary, through the liturgy of the hours. Know that you are there. Help us to persevere and continue to return to you each day to lift our minds and hearts in prayer, especially during the season of Lent. We ask this through the intercession of that perfect prayer, our Blessed Mother, as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. Woo-hoo.